my privilege to share some of the Word with you. I know you came to hear God's Word, not just to hear a presentation. And so I, I invite you to take your Bibles and look at this verse in Philippians chapter 1. This is uh, Paul's writing here to a supporting church. And he talks about, uh, you heard it this morning there in those first chapters, those first verses, their fellowship in the gospel or their partnership in the gospel. What was their partnership in the gospel with Paul? Well, two areas. They're easy to see. I'll just point them out. Philippians 1, 18 and 19, their second part of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out through my deliverance. So they were partnering with Paul through their prayers. And then if you go to chapter 4, you find out that really what he's writing to them is a thank you note for a gift that they had sent him. And he says there in verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So it's through prayer and financial support. It's really the same ways that you have partnered uh, with, with us. They're praying for Paul, but what's interesting, he's praying for them as well. And this is what he prays. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. I'll quote this for you in French. You follow in English. Et ce que je demande dans mes prières, c'est que votre amour, amour is the word for love, que votre amour augmente de plus en plus en connaissance et en pleine intelligence pour le discernement des choses les meilleures, afin que vous soyez purs et irréprochables pour, pour le jour de Christ, remplis du fruit de justice qui est par Jésus-Christ à la gloire et à la louange de Dieu. I pray, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This prayer has produced in my mind a real paradigm shift of the way I look at the Christian life. And I like to just walk it walk through it uh, backwards, if I could, starting uh, with, with the very end. What is the purpose in all this? How does it all end there at the end of verse 11? To the glory and praise of God. Paul's ultimate desire in praying for them is that they could each personally contribute to the glory and praise of God on the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he, everything is directed here towards a specific day and towards a specific desire or goal. And that day, he, he, he clarifies back in verse 6, uh, that he who began a good work in you will, will perfect it or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the desire he comes to at the end of the book when he says that all of this is to the, is to the glory of God, chapter 4, verse 20. And so the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him Forever. So this is what he has in mind when he prays. That great day and the glory of God. Well, how can I personally con contribute 
to the glory of God. We often think in terms of what we can do, but this prayer is in terms of what we are. You notice that there in the middle of verse 10? And so be, be something. Not primarily do, but be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We honor God as much by what we are as by what we do. Well, how can we be pure and blameless? Notice verse 11. It's when we are, this, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying this for his supporting church, that each of them will have a life filled with righteous fruit that comes through the ministry of Christ's Spirit. I'm getting my buzzer again. So you'll have to, Pastor Rob, tell us what to do. He wants them to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You just stop me if I'm supposed to stop. All right, so we're on high ground here. We should be okay. The, the, the image here is uh, agrarian. It's a field. Imagine a field. Some of you have uh, probably gardens, and some years you just have a tomato here and a green bean there, and other years you have so much you're giving it away. Th- this is the image Paul has in his mind when he, when he prays, a field that's full of fruit, uh, this righteous, holy, good, true fruit that too is to God's glory. And he does this, notice this, this is key. This is why the gospel is central to everything. He does this through Jesus Christ. Everything comes through Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, Jesus works exclusively in our hearts through his own Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we could talk a long time about that, but just to move on, how how does he get to there? How can we have a life filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, notice there in verse 10, what comes before, what leads up to that, so that you may approve what is excellent. See that word? Approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruits of righteousness. So he's praying for a life lived in the pursuit of the more excellent choice. And there are two important words in this part of the phrase. That word translated approve, which we could translate examine or discern. And the word translated excellent, which is also translated value. When Jesus says, are you of not much more value than many sparrows? It's the same, the same term. So we have to discern and approve that which is of greatest value, that which is excellent. So other translations put it this way, that you may judge and approve the things that are more excellent, or that you may be able to choose what is best. What this is, is a life that is constantly seeking to identify and identify with that which is of most value, that which is excellent. And this prayer presumes the fact that a lot of our choices in life are made not on the basis of good or bad or what's allowable and not allowable, but actually value judgments. We're always making value judgment. This is less valuable. This choice would be more valuable. 
That's where we live the majority of our lives. And so do we live always in pursuit of the more valuable of the choices that are in front of us? And this has been one of the most helpful and liberating truths for my own Christian walk. Because we often think in legal terms, okay? A pure legalist is someone who believes we're saved by keeping the law. But we can look at the Christian life merely through a legal lens, okay? That's a a Christian life that's guided, thinks that we're guided primarily by some biblically defined legal code that directly specifies what we are to do. So how I walk the Christian life is, is determined, this person would reason, by what the Bible it directly instructs me to do or instructs me not to do. And so it's interesting, you can have two people arguing about something and be on opposite ends of the same uh, issue, and yet they share the same basic premise that the primary guide to my Christian walk is finding the right legal code that specifically and directly instructs my Christian walk. And so these people are constantly making choices based on what is allowed or or not allowed. But what the missionary here is praying for his supporting church is this. Look at verse 10 again. That you may test and approve that which has most value, that which is most excellent. So it's not legality that we're pursuing at all in the Christian life. It's excellence that we're pursuing. And this pursuit of excellence, however, remains an obligation. It's not optional. It's like when you tell your child, do your best on your homework. It's not an op- He's supposed to do his best. And we're supposed to pursue the excellent choice. It's like telling a child to clean his room. And a child says, well, does that mean I have to vacuum? Does that mean I have to wash the windows? Does that mean I have to clean under the bed? And you say, look, I'm not going to give you details. I'm just telling you, clean your room. And what are you forcing the child to do? You're forcing the child to himself discern what needs to be done in his room in order to make it clean. And God doesn't give us specific details. But that doesn't mean that those details are unimportant. Because excellence remains an obligation. So how, how are we doing in making excellent choices? Could someone describe our choices in life as the more excellent? He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That's how we're going to make excellent choices. A life lived in pursuit of the more excellent choice demands this, if we just back up a little more in the phrase, it demands a life committed to the exercise of biblically informed discernment. You see those key words in that part of the phrase? Knowledge and all discernment. That's what it takes. And that's why he prays. Obeying the Bible's primary commands is not enough to be pleasing to God. If it were, we wouldn't need to exercise any discernment in order to glorify God. There are in the Christian life necessary deductions and secondary obligations that though they must always be carefully distinguished from primary commands, they remain nonetheless essential to fulfilling those primary commands. 
the child that has to look at his room and has to discern himself what steps he needs to take. He has to make application to his life in order to obey that command. I remember something that happened about eight years ago in our home. Uh, We were sitting outside eating, and I asked one of my older children to go get water. And he stood up, and his sibling said, could you get the salt and pepper at the same time? And my other child said, Dad, do I have to get the salt and pepper? And I don't know what possessed me, but I just said, no. But you have to love your brother as yourself. And I could see immediately that this was creating conflict in, in, in my child's mind. Well, do I have to get... I, I said, no, you don't have to. But you have to love your brother as yourself. And finally, she said to me, just tell me I have to do it. <laughs> that way she can do it because I told her not out of love for her brother. And, and that's the way God works with us in many realms. Sometimes we just pre- prefer to have the specific thing. We can do it, get it over with. And yet, it's like cleaning the room. It, it, it takes application and working through that and discerning in order that we might be pleasing uh, to the Lord. That, that's the point of this verse in Ephesians 5 where it says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word right is the same word translated fruit of righteousness in our text. And how do we get there? By trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so I want to appeal, I don't know how many young people are here today, but I just want to appeal to you to live by resolutions and resolve your Christian life, not by rules. Uh, Take the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Number 28, resolve to study the Scriptures so steadily and constantly and frequently that as I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the Scripture. If you live by resolve and by resolution, you'll actually go further than if you live by rules. When we live by rules, we always do the minimum. Who pays extra taxes so that you can be extra legal? Who drives 10 miles under the speed limit to go the extra legal mile? But when we're driven by resolve, we do go the extra mile. And it's not in the legal framework at all. Let me just give you two two illustrations to see where the Bible actually demands this. We Take Ephesians 5, it says, redeem the time. Okay, or in other translations, it's, it's making the best use of time. But literally, it is redeem the time. That command is impossible to obey without discerning and implementing secondary choices. You can't just say, hey, I did it. I redeemed the time. Got that done. And, and you can't just say, well, what do you do to redeem the time? I'll do the same thing. Then You see what I mean? We can't. We actually have to exercise discernment in our, in our lives. We can't just check it off our list. And God could say, you know, you get up at this time, you spend this much time reading your Bible, you're allowed so much time in front of the TV and on the internet, and you have to be in bed by this time. Now, those choices remain necessary deductions. 
and secondary obligations, not primary, primary commands, but they remain essential to fulfilling this command. We want to say sometimes, you know, God, just tell me what time to get out of bed. Or tell me how much time I can spend watching the news. And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you, redeem the time. Like, ah, two hours? And God says, I'm not saying two hours. I'm saying, redeem the time. You see how the pressure is actually greater and demands more reflection? Jonathan Edwards had this resolution, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. And that demands constantly evaluating and discerning the more valuable choice. Let me real quickly just give you one other example where this is demanded. Hebrews 12, second parts, the primary passage in all of Scripture to compare Old Testament worship to New Testament worship. It begins with Israel before a mountain of fire, and it begins with the New Testament church before God, who is himself a consuming fire. It's an inclusio. And in that it says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, these are, these are commands that we have, both personally and, and corporately. And this is not an element of worship. You don't have singing and then all, all. And it's not even the content of worship. It's not talking what we talk about. It's clearly talking to us about the, the manner in which we worship. And yet the specifics are not given to us. And so it demands discernment to properly and secondary applications to obey this primary command. So God is commanding us to continually exercise biblically informed discernment, to distinguish not between good and bad, but between good and excellent, and being committed to choosing the excellent way. So are we doing that? What if our entertainment choices were made not concerned about what was allowable or not? but continually seeking to discern the excellent. What would drive us to want to do that? Well, let me give you another illustration. Imagine parents of a newborn child. The first morning home from the hospital, I saw some little babies here. The baby cries. The dad says, whoa, let me go online, see what the legal code says. It says, oh, it says we have to provide for our children, we have to clothe them, feed them. Okay, we better get to it. You know, does a parent get, every morning, get up every morning thinking through what he can or cannot do as a parent? No, why not? Because he loves his child. And that's what he's praying here. First of all, that we may personally contribute to the glory of God, that we'd have this life filled with righteous fruit, a life in pursuit of the more excellent choice. To do that, that we would exercise continually this biblically informed discernment. And how do we get that? Look at it in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. This, this, this is getting to the heart right here of his prayer. A life of ever 
deepening love. And the Bible clarifies it's we love God first and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. Have you ever experienced someone near you getting diagnosed with a disease? And all of a sudden, you've, you've always heard about it, but all of a sudden you're on the internet, you're searching up different remedies, different cures, how long, life expect. All of a sudden you're interested in it. Why? You love that person. And it's the same in our Christian life. When we love God, we want to do all we can to please him. If we go the legal route, we're always doing the minimum. But when we go the love route, we find ourselves joyfully doing the maximum. And so it's all a question of who we love. Because if you really love something, you will reason yourself into it. I know, I have a four-year-old. He can reason into the fact that he needs candy. And he's convinced. He needs it. He needs it now. Because he loves it. And we do the same thing as adults. So this is his prayer. And how do we change our love? Can you flip a switch and start loving God like that? I wish I could. It all begins, this is my final point. It all begins with prayer. He says, and this I pray. When you're thinking of your children, when you're thinking of other people that you minister to, you know, we can hassle them, we can berate them, but do we pray for them? That's what Paul's doing. And in our own lives, are we using the means of grace that God has given to us? Are we saying, God, grow my love? For you. And so Paul the missionary prays for his supporting church that they will have this life rich with righteous, holy fruit built on the continual exercise of discernment, built on a love, a life of ever deepening love for God, built on a life pursuing God in prayer. And all of this will be to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thank you for your attention.